Welcome to the Morning Shift Football Podcast. We're recording on the 14th of October at 5am, a horrid time in the middle of the night because we're psychopaths. Not really, it's 9.30, but to us night people, that is early. Oh man, that's right, the soccer, the Socceroos beat Oh Man. Uh, Matty Ryan, here's a gun. We, we lost to Japan. Arnie had a whinge. Um, there's a bit of Nations League, there's a bit of World Cup qualifiers, there's a bit to get through again. We'll start with this one. I'll bring Tommy in over the, on the other side of the interwebs, but uh, have you broken up with FIFA, Thomas? I have, I have definitely. I'm bleary-eyed, not because I'm upset, um, by the, just by the constant dip of FIFA's quality over time and their investment in the career mode function. Um, no, it's just, it's freaking early, like you said, but... FIFA for me, it's always been a complicated relationship. Yeah. So there was an article during the week from the Guardian's uh, Dominic Diamond. The beautiful game got ugly. Why I broke up with FIFA. Um, Sorry. How's the author's name? Doesn't it? Dominic it Diamond. Like should be out of Boogie Nights, not writing for the Guardian. He does sound like he's out of Boogie Nights or like a, uh, like a side character you don't really get to meet in a Scorsese movie. Like he's just yes. kind of, he has a 30 second scene where he's sitting at a table with Joe Pesci and Ray Liotta or something. Then they both blow his brains out. All right. <laughs> if you have Sorry, to. I get a, little, get a little bit murderous when it's early. But um, yeah, this FIFA thing, it caught my eye and I sent it to you during the week because FIFA has been, I guess, for people our age, it's been a massive part of our lives for years and years now. Obviously starting in like the early 90s, I probably played my first one in like 99 and I bought one for me too. Yeah. And I bought every single one, like the day it came out since like 2003 Um, until last year when I, well, actually, no, I did still buy it, but 2021's FIFA, I barely played it all. Massive step backwards. It was horrible. Um, I have bought this year's and I've been playing it a little bit and it is much improved on last year's, but still, um, it's turned into one of those games that's all about the loot boxes. It is the online experience, which is sad because I think FIFA for us especially, um, it was probably our introduction to football, like European global football, and it really, really stamped our interest and probably developed our interest in the game more than anything else at the time. Yep. Like FIFA's always had that huge advantage over other sports, and you've seen yeah. all the other sports try and catch up with their own EA sports games or whatever. Um, but yeah, they got greedy and now it's all about the loot boxes, like you said. And, you know, the, the article made a really good point about um, just ultimate team packs being uh, like a form of gambling without declaring that it's gambling. And hell yeah, it's gambling. 100% it is. Yeah. It's just As like big gamblers. It's just like, like the pokies. You're chucking your money in, um, having a spin and seeing what you get. Yeah, it's not for me. I've never been into the ultimate team thing because uh, there's too many just, just weird shit about it. It's basically a trading card game, I guess. And the idea of playing under a team name, wearing an existing club's kits <laughs> with an existing club's badge that's different to those kits and all that kind of stuff. I don't know. It just It's too weird for me. Not for me. I know people love it, but um, yeah, nah. It's definitely jarring and you're in someone else's stadium. You're walking out to someone else's intro tune as well. The new, there's a new feature on FIFA 22 
that look, I didn't play 20 or 21 really, or even that much of 19. Like I really did put it on the back burner. I was like, nah, I'm sick of FIFA. I'm not playing this game. But 2022 has been really cool because you've got your own creator club function, which I found really fun. We've done that. When people come over, we'll put just like, we'll put our team on basically and just open it up. We've got three controllers sitting around. People jump in, play as this team yep. in our own constructed stadium with our own kits, with our own theme music and stuff. So that's been good. I think they've, are they going to come full circle and try and re-engage the footballing aspect of the game? Fingers crossed, hopefully. Yeah. Um, I've always been a massive career mode guy. I know mm. we, we used to have our co-op career modes back in the day. Who was it? Was it Pompey? Uh, it was after when they were that, League two? we started off uh, yep. with, um, I think we started off with Cheltenham. Cheltenham, yes. Cheltenham, yeah, Town. Cheltenham Town in League Two and then... After that, we got onto Pompey, and we—I think—we used the financial takeover thing and bought Lucas Podolski, <laughs> for Portsmouth, and Sado Berahino, because we all thought he was going to be a Premier League superstar. Oh, what, Turns out, what a he's name just another, from the past. Another average footballer that didn't really go anywhere. Um, <laughs> but yeah, big career mode guy. It's just gone a bit out the window. That um, used to spend years and years, like just like as in seasons and seasons. Just like building your squad, especially if you choose a lower one and you rely on your academy players and stuff and not your transfers or like scouting out players to fit in your team and stuff like that. Real good. Now I find yep. myself more of a, uh, I had this conversation with uh, Bebo, who's been on the pod before, about doing tournament mode where I'll start a tournament like the Premier League or Serie A La Liga and I select like eight or nine different user teams just so I can use all the different squads, play with different players, like play in the different stadiums, play like the rivalry fixtures, stuff like that. I don't reckon there's anyone else out there that does that, but <laughs> that's a pretty niche is. FIFA thing. <laughs> if there is, reach out to us. You may have found your long lost soulmate. Yeah, I'm probably probably alone there, but yeah. <laughs> but yeah, no. Nah. I think lots of people have broken up with FIFA. The online experience is pretty grim. Um like, I don't know. Everyone's playing as PSG or Man City. And why wouldn't you, though? But why wouldn't you? The way I know, they overpower like, players you, in certain areas. If you try to play, but you want to play like, you want to mix it up. It's just so boring. It's the same thing again and again. And I hate getting beaten by some 14-year-old. So that, That's what it boils down to. Yeah, that's ultimately <laughs> what it's boiled down to is I hate losing. And I'm not good enough, so I lose. And then cop- copying some homophobic and racial slurs over the internet when they yeah. do win. <laughs> I don't even have a headset and a mic, but I still hear someone, you're like, you're fucking shit. <laughs> you're like, I'm a straight white guy. I shouldn't be dealing with this. <laughs> hey, let's talk about the Socceroos, because they had two yeah. World Cup qualifiers. Uh, we'll start with Oman just quickly. I love it when we win. Did you watch the Oman game? No. Nah, I neither. did not. No man. No, no. man. Um, I did go through the highlights and stuff. And basically what I saw was uh, us kind of muddling that line again between winning and losing or winning and not winning for a mm-hmm. long time. The game really in the balance and chance after chance after chance falling Oman's way. Um, we did get the win. Uh, not as convincing again. Matty Ryan. Should we just touch on Matty Ryan before we talk about Japan? Oh, Matty Ryan just makes saves. Yeah, because in both games, he 
I just think he's incredible. I was wondering, I was going to ask you, where do you think he sits on like the all-time Socceroos list at the moment? As goalkeepers or overall players, do you Over, think? Overall. Overall, he's, he's potentially in the top 25, I would say. I think we've had a few pioneers yeah. over the time. Every, yeah, I was gonna almost say, everyone out of that golden gen. I was going to say 20 off the top of my head, but maybe yeah. 25 to 30. If but, we really went into it, you could find, I think, yeah. a couple more above him. Uh, he still has years as well. Um, mm. I think of the current crop, he's definitely the best. And you'll look back yeah. between the period of like 2010 to 2020 and think, oh, Matt Ryan was the man. He's, uh, he's certainly a goalkeeper that wouldn't. I don't think he would have looked out of place had he been with the likes of Kuehl and co in that generation. Mm. I don't think he would have looked out of place at all. Um, Definitely not. He would have had a better chance of playing in the Prem back then as well. So Yeah, he would have. Um, I just think he's absolutely great and he probably doesn't get the recognition he deserves. I was a bit more pro. I was pro Mitch Langerak in the past mm-hmm. when he was around. Uh, he's kind of dropped off the scene, but it was probably more just a Dortmund bias. Mitch Langerak was playing at Dortmund. So it's like, yeah, no, he's heaps better than Matt Ryan. Who's he has to be better. Wherever he was. Can't remember. But yeah. Um he was incredible in the Oman game and he was excellent again in the Japan game from what I saw. Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't get to see the full games of either of these two just because of uh, work commitments and time. But yeah, Matt, big shout out to Matt Ryan. It did. The Oman game did look like another case of job done where we do, we kind of muddle it up. We middle around, we give ourselves a good opportunity. We let them back into it. Defensively, we are frail. It's very easy to get at us. Um, but no, our quality shone through in the end, um, being Martin Boyle and Awer Mabil, who Mabil was having a conversation about him. He's, I think he's been our best player in the green and gold since the Asian Cup, maybe including the Asian Cup as well. His performances yeah. are so consistent. I would also, I would agree with that. Um, I had a note when I was looking through the Japan game about like, in comparison to Oman, like we just, why don't we, I don't understand really why Mabil wasn't in the lineup for the Japan game. Looked like we really needed someone to kind of take the ball and run at defenders, do something a bit um, like everything else seems a bit more one dimensional. Whereas where Mabil brings that creativity and that spark kind of thing, the energy mm. seemed like something we really missed against Japan. Oh, we desperately needed that from the outset. Um, it was probably two, three, four minutes into the game. You could see just the way that Arnie had set up. He wanted to choke the midfield and he played four central midfielders, essentially at Chris Stitch, uh, Irvine, Moy and Rogic in there. Yeah. Or Rogic in there. Rogic. Um, <clears throat> and still, still, we were beaten by the three narrow Japanese midfielders in there. So it just, and then we had no width in order to, dragged them out and exposed them down the down the line. And in the end, that, that was our biggest flaw because as it's Bayage, they really targeted him. And the poor guy has probably had one of the worst Socceroos performances of the century. I, my mind goes back to David Carney in the Asian Cup final. Like it was that bad. Yeah. I had um throughout the game, I was, I was at work obviously, but throughout the game, I had messages coming through in group chats and various other places about how bad Beige was. I kind of feel bad for the guy because I kind of rate him. Like, I think he's a decent fullback. I don't Mm -hmm. think he's a superstar, but I think he's a 
he's been pretty solid for Australia. I think he's been by far and away our best uh, option at left back. For um, sure. When you consider who was it, Calamella yeah. or Brad Smith? Like, come on. Yeah, oh, Brad Smith. Oh, kick ball, run fast. Doesn't make you a good footballer. <laughs> but yeah, then. <laughs> I actually think Bayich is uh he's a decent player. It's just obviously he's just had an absolute stinker, which is a shame. Um, he was left too exposed by Arnie's tactics. They constantly overloaded him. He had no winger in front of him helping him to defend. He had Aaron Moy playing wide left midfield. Like it just, yeah, it did not work in that first half, and we were soundly beaten. Maybe we need Robbie Cruz. Oh, bring him back. <laughs> what, just to take a little bit of the heat from the Twitter just, bully boys? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he'll take the heat from Twitter. He'll, he'll run pointlessly up and down the wing without touching the ball. Um, Always offside somehow. <laughs> he'll be offside somehow. He'll have a chance to pass the ball to someone in the box and miss them. That sort of stuff. That's what we need. Yeah. Between yeah. him and Mitchell Duke, we would never be uh, cross halfway without yeah. the offside flag going up. So one thing I uh, just wanted to, I guess this is kind of a reiteration of what we've already talked about before, but um, obviously we're, are we, we're still top of the group. Um, uh, no, it's the Saudis are. I think. Saudis are? F- I think they're four oh. from four. Okay. All right. Yeah. Yeah. They probably are. Um, either way, this Socceroos team went on a pretty big run of uh, like, like an undefeated run. And we've spoken before, though, about like the quality of opposition we're playing against. Um, it's just very, very disappointing to like. I don't know. We can't just. We don't want to sound like we're just whinging about Arnie all the time, but just to reiterate, um, like <laughs> the problem we have is we're trying to look for. You know, we're not just trying to qualify for the World Cup anymore. We can do that. We know we can qualify for the World Cup pretty easily against a lot of these countries. Um, we make it a little hard for ourselves sometimes, but we want more than that. We don't, we're not saying we need to go and win the World Cup, but we can't just go and show up and be part of the group stage and come home. Our goal should be getting to the knockout rounds, which I'm sure they would tell you that that is their goal if you ask them, the mm. squad and the coaches and the, the executives and the board or whoever. But it just doesn't look like a reality at any point the amount of chances we concede to some of these countries and we get away oh. with it because Matt Ryan's been a star, but we just concede chance after chance after chance after chance against all the teams in this group, the teams in the the last group we played as well. Like I know they're still international footballers, but the amount of chances we conceded to like Jordan it, to, or whatever Tibet else, or like Chinese Taipei, yeah. like <laughs> The Mount Everest 11 or something like just (laughs) the Himalayas best. (laughs) Yeah. And that's like, that's why we kind of are so on onto them. Even when we win games, just because like you can see the signs there that when we come up against a bigger nation, I don't know. We just came, we just came up against Japan and they completely exposed us. And then Arnie has the audacity to whinge about the fact that his excuse was that they, he watched their last few games and all their games so far in the group stage, and they didn't play with that energy. That was his his reasoning. Oh, they played with more energy because they had fans this time. But like, <sighs> so you watched their games and you just expected them to bring the same lackluster effort to a game against the Socceroos. Like, that's... They recognize as their biggest rival now in Asia. 
that's like that's not being very well prepared, is it? Is just to assume <laughs> you're going to assume that they're gonna Japan are gonna stay shit. Like that's it's terrible. Such a co- it's a cop out excuse. What's even worse though is for him to think that that would be the case and still go out there, set up, look like we were just trying to get a draw. Yeah. That was the worst part is that it's exactly how we set up. If you wanted to get at them, a team that is fragile and out of form, who were getting slated in their media, you know, the coach has got the knife hanging over his head and we set up in a defensive four, three, one, two, the way we did, we're just asking for trouble. There was never an, there was never a moment in the first half where I thought we're getting back into this. Even the tag at chance that hit the post. I was like, we were so well beaten. They had, oh man, we should have been three or four down by halftime. Yep. I mean, if they, if they had any kind of striker like they've had in the past, we would have been, yeah, would have been game over. Yep. Um, we'll just have a quick mention for uh, Hustich's goal though. Oh, what a beautiful hit. This is why I think we should abolish penalties and we should just have free kicks from that position on the edge of the box. We've like got to no get it up and down. Stuff. No, you have the wall. You've just got to be good wall. enough to get it up and down. Yeah. You talk crazy shit sometimes, and I just <laughs> I want to jump through it. my screen and just strangle you for some of these things. We're not abolishing well, penalties. It was definitely not a penalty, even though they called it a penalty to begin with. And they took their sweet time overturning it. Boyle was like in his run-up to take the pen. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, good goal. What do you reckon, like, free kicks or shots that if you put it top bins, it's like a 10 out of 10. But if you put mm. it, if it comes off the crossbar or the post and goes in, somehow you get like a, you get like a 12 out of 10, I reckon. Yeah, how much seeds all expectation. <laughs> how good does it look? How good does it look when a ball cannons, especially the ones that go in off the crossbar, they go down and then they bounce into the roof of the net. Ah, yeah. just delicious. There's an argument for that because I think <clears throat> there's a few purists that prefer to see the net balloon out the back. They want to see it. Thunder cunted straight into the corner. Yeah. But, or heuristic cunted, as I read online. Yeah. <laughs> he, but for this one, I thought it was just beautiful precision. And for a half a second, I thought, oh, shit, this is going to bounce back out over the line. Um, but no, we were fine. It was a great shot. And yeah. you're right. It is so satisfying to just see it clip the bottom of the bar, career straight back down, outstretch yep. keeper. I think even a 15 out of 10 is when it hits the bar comes back off of an already uh, dove keeper, like he's already had a dive for it, hits him, bounces back in. Oh, you reckon that's a That's 15. a trick shot. Yeah, that's the trick shot. Because you just make you, the keeper look like a you lose? Too. How can you lose points there, though? Because it's it, come back it's, out. Your inaccuracy, you were going to miss if the keeper wasn't there. Like, <laughs> it's an own goal. Like it's an own goal at the end the, of the day. Oh. oh, yeah, potentially. Hey, do it's, they give them 100%, some goals? That, that, would, that would be an own goal, 100%, I reckon. Off yeah. the crossbar, because it's going away from goal when it hits the keeper and goes. It would have to. Hey, that would. Yeah, you're not. You're not getting any points for it because it's not your goal. I guess that. <laughs> so the keeper gets negative fifteen. No, the keeper the gets spectacular. Keeper, keeper can have fifteen still. <laughs> it's his claim. It fifteen out of ten. Do you think? Do you think Bayich was claiming his own goal? <laughs> Let's oh. see, guys. I can do something. <laughs> uh yeah. No, nah, he's getting a negative fifteen for that performance. Unfortunately, yes. because I like him. You got anything else on the Japan game? Before I'm just, I, uh... I'm, the first thing I noticed was that the Socceroos weren't, yeah. they didn't have any names on the back of their shirts. And we are constantly doing that in World Cup qualifiers. 
it looks really unprofessional to me and it just uh, kind of takes the occasion away from it. I don't know. That's um, probably just me being fiddly. Maybe. Uh, I think like, I don't know, lots of countries do this. Heaps of countries do this. Even in Europe, there's yeah. countries, they don't put their names on their shirts all the time for qualifiers, especially when there's so many different players coming in and out of the squad and stuff. I mean, I guess mm. you'd like to think at that level, every player would have their own shirt and can have their own yeah, name on it with the just numbers. Just lock but it I in guess, for the campaign. I guess um, I guess we don't need all that materialistic waste, do we? <laughs> Is that what it comes down to? I don't know. I'm go the searching old, for a reason. Go back to the old Brisbane Raw style and uh, just put them on with sticky tape. It'll be fine. Tape, yeah. So you just have like a set of squad numbers. You have like 30 numbers. And if you use any more than 30 players, you just start taping extra numbers on. <laughs> So if someone wants to be 31, you just get a piece of white tape. Three, one, done. Simple. 31. Home job. Look at that. This is why the, this is why Australia is sponsored by Bunnings. Yeah. Hey, can I tee off now on Ann, uh, Arnie again? Can we? My next note was Arnie thought we played great football, so there's that. <laughs> or you can you can have a go on that one if you want first. No, nah, we just we just, think we just covered it. that point. Yeah, we just covered it really anyway. My big bone this week with Arnie. And this is why maybe sometimes we are overly harsh on the Socceroos because he's at the helm. It's because he's just such an obnoxious dick. This guy comes out after the game, whinging about, as we just mentioned before, whinging about how Japan had a crowd now, and that's why they had more energy. And the Socceroos need that. He says it'd be great if the Socceroos could have that energy from the fans. It'd make us play better. We need the support. Fair point. I'll take that. If he was talking about the entire fucking country, but he's not. Graham Arnold, <laughs> very specifically and multiple times, um, multiple times he alluded to the fact that he want, he didn't allude to, he blatantly pointed out that he wants the Socceroos to play in front of crowds in Sydney and he's pleading with the government to help. Please, government, we need your help so that the Socceroos can have fans. We need to have fans at Socceroos games, specifically in Sydney, as though the Socceroos can't play in any other city in this country. We just had an NRL grand final in Brisbane, an AFL grand final in Perth. Darwin's had the fucking V8 supercars. We've got bloody Toowoomba and Townsville and shit have had events on with crowds. We've got bloody Tasmania having crowds. We've got... Adelaide having massive crowds all year at the footy and stuff. Um, but no, we should, we should, we need to make something happen with Sydney so that we can get the Socceroos to play home games. Home games for the Socceroos has, must always be in Sydney, apparently. Has to be Sydney. Can only be Sydney. I mean, there's only been one Socceroos game in South Australia in the last seven years, but has to be Sydney, right? Yeah, well, they're called the Sydney Socceroos. Didn't you know? Exactly. That's why it's called Homebush, because it's, it's the home of all sporting events in, in Australia. He, he, I can't believe he politicised the post-match press conference. The yeah. amount of times he called out the government of New South Wales and the federal government to accommodate for the Socceroos to come back. I understand his point about us playing four away games so far. And I get we're that, yeah. Probably, we're probably sitting much better than we were, um, than I anticipated we would, given that we are away from home all the time. Um, but there's... There was only 15,000 Japanese fans there. And on telly, it did not sound like it usually sounds. So to, I just, I think to, to say 
that the, the Japanese had the extra energy because the fans is perhaps not true. And I also think if we went back to Sydney and had half capacities, quarter capacities potentially, um, that's not going to do anything for us either, playing in an empty 80,000-seater so. stadium. I don't think so either, no. Give us um, some football, man. It's <laughs> like, I guess the main thing is him asking and pleading for home games would be one thing on its own, fine. Letting mm. us play a home game in front of a crowd. But the way he just so specifically kept asking about Sydney and mentioning Sydney and pleading with them to allow them to play in Sydney when yeah. you can play anywhere else in the country with a crowd, like it's just completely ridiculous. I know there's stuff to work around in terms of like quarantine and whatever, but like, <laughs> is it that big it's, a difference? It's Sydney. been worked around. We're, we're about to work it around the country when the ashes start. So there's yeah. plans already in place for this kind of thing. Yep. I just... I can't understand why. Why? Imagine a sold-out Highmarsh Stadium for the Socceroos versus Oman. Yep. That would pump. Yeah. It would just be an insane spectacle. There are plenty of plenty of places, I think, that would be pumping for a Socceroos game with a crowd at the moment. Given the last few years, what we've had um, with limited crowd numbers and with limited events on with crowds, I think mm. anywhere in Australia you could put a Socceroos game on and you'd get a crowd of people buzzing and wanting to go. Um, but yeah, it just it kind of it just really grinds my gears, when, <laughs> as they say, when this attitude always comes out. It's like it hasn't even crossed his mind that he'd like to play anywhere else in Australia, just Sydney. And to me, it's just typical of the football attitude in this country, where Sydney does think they own the game. Um, they think they own the game. They think they run the game, and it all revolves around them. But yeah, that's, well, that's that's, my that's why game. that's why we pushed we pushed back the um the start of the A League. It should be it should have started last week, I think, or this week. But we literally pushed it back because they wanted to set up hubs in New South Wales so that we could have that little mini football tournament without people quarantining. Instead and they just of, had no con- yeah. instead they just had the no teams, concept instead of, of the establishing teams of it elsewhere. Coming, yeah, instead yeah, of the teams of precisely. Sydney coming coming to our bloody like coming to our state or going to Perth or going to Brisbane. Nah, it's all going to be in Sydney. So we're going to be in Sydney. Yeah. They did this they did this before. They had hubs in New South Wales when it was like every other state's got people and crowds still allowed to go and no covid. No, we'll have it in Sydney because they run everything. They run everything. Yeah, empty yeah. stadiums in Sydney, isn't it great? Fuck Sydney, I man. Just, I hate Sydney. It just Sydney. is the whole experience sums up the last 12 years of the Socceroos where we should we haven't beaten Japan in 12 years now. And over that period we should have been making ground to the point where the Japanese are vulnerable and we should be able to get at them now. And we just have not moved anywhere. We've probably gone backwards, if anything. And I saw there was a lot of comments online like, well, Ange never beat Japan either. And it's like, yeah, but it, maybe if we stuck, maybe if we still had Ange, we would be beating Japan now. <laughs> yeah. Maybe we didn't force him out, like bully him out of the bloody game here. And who did that? The Sydney media. What do you know? Yeah. What do you know? Um, should we wrap up our whinging there and uh, whinge about something I think else? So. It's just, it's nice to be right all the time. <laughs> That's what we should finish it on. <laughs> all right. We'll whinge about something else then, hey? Yeah. <laughs> what do you think of the Nations League, Sam? <laughs> oh, man. I like when what, this. What is the point? When this Nations League started a little while back, I think England won it, didn't they? Um, yeah, they did. Yeah, they did. You're right. But it's hard to recall. It just doesn't matter. 
It's not a thing. It's just so bad. All it is is more football that has to be played. Players are like absolutely, I know they get the big money, but they're still humans and they're absolutely killing themselves for this money right now <laughs> and playing so many games, like so many games. And now all the clubs that like the, the top four in the Nations League just played over the weekend. They had like their final and their semifinals. And now they're like, um, now they're behind on World Cup qualifiers, aren't they? Because they've just had to play these Nations League games. We had players from Italy and Belgium obviously lost their semifinals. Um, so they had to play, they had to play each other in a third place playoff in the Nations League. And both sets of players had made comments before the game about how pointless it was. <laughs> and I think Courtois, Courtois after the game talked about how pointless it was. <clears throat> And how overworked they are. And yeah. And they are 100% right. It is so pointless. Why do they have to play a third place playoff in the Nation's League, man? No For one cares. What? Exactly. Oh, the winner yeah. doesn't even get a World Cup qualification spot. It's it just, why, why are we doing this? What is the point? The point was to combat all those weeks of like pointless friendlies and to have friendlies uh, mean something. Okay. But yeah. it's kind of. What is the point, though, if we get to World Cup qualifier time and these guys are having to play this instead? Mm, it's structured meaninglessness. It's just, <laughs> it's trying to give something to friendlies that doesn't exist. But yeah. Yeah, I thought they missed an opportunity with the Nations League because they could have promoted, you know, all of those nations that sort of kick around in the first and second phase of qualifying, never really get anywhere. Yeah. It would have been a good opportunity to have these guys playing each other and establishing themselves against opposition that are you know on tandem with them yeah because you get those games i mean um there were some blowout results over the last few weeks in the internationals you know six nils seven nils and you just look i mean you look at some results as well like andorra i think got a point against england and like that's massive and that's great if they can do that every so often but i don't andorra got smashed oh hungry sorry it was andorra got smashed yeah hungry got the point um and if they can do that every so often that's great but I don't see how that is putting stepping stones in to develop your 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 nation as a as a yeah. footballing nation. Um, I don't think Hungary are that bad a footballing nation that they shouldn't be with the likes of that anyway. Like they no, they yeah, qualify for the Euros history. all the time. I think you're onto something there though. With like I think we've said it before is just like Europe probably probably needs uh, two stage qualifying for the World Cup. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. Where you have an initial round between like, you know, all your Andorras and Moldovas and Azerbaijan and probably Ireland and like, <laughs> you know, Luxembourg and teams like that. Um, yeah, you kind of do a, you do a system where they all play each other first to get through to play the bigger teams just because there's so many pointless fixtures. Um, I guess it's probably not pointless for those players. I don't know. They might enjoy getting the chance to play against a big nation, but I don't know. It's just a lot of, a lot of nothing this time of year it in is, international it football. Is. I don't know how proud I would be of my selfie with um, Ronaldo if the memory I have to go with it is a nine-nil drubbing. Yeah, yeah, no, <laughs> probably not. Um, what was your favourite game of international football on the weekend? You catch any? Um, you didn't want to talk about the final. Do you want to talk about the Nations League final at all, or? Uh, yeah. Did you see it? I That's what I was it. kind of careering into. No, um, I didn't see it. There was 
this almighty furore around Mbappe's winner. And I'll do my best to this, this explain is the, it to you. The offside thing. The offside, the offside thing. Yeah, yeah, here we go. Go on, send it. So there's a pass played. I can't remember who plays the pass, but it's Eric Garcia, uh, the Spanish defender, who's reached out to intercept the ball, has got the slightest of touches on it, which doesn't really intercept it, doesn't knock it out of play. It just knocks it into an offside and Barpe's path. He runs through, scores the goal. I think we're waiting for VAR to overrule the goal or the referee to pull it back or a linesman's flag to go up or something. Um, no, nothing. Not at all. Another grey area of the offside rule has returned, and that is whether or not the interference of an offside player is deemed enough for a player to play the ball. I, he was, I mean, what Eric Garcia was told post-game, you shouldn't have gone for the ball. And that's just outrageous thing to tell a defender. Utterly ridiculous. What, you're going to disincentivize a player from making an interception because we have players standing offside. You know, the letter of the law says that he is, it's a new phase of play. So his offside is ruled out essentially. But this is just a wormhole, man. This, you could fundamentally change the game by doing stuff like this. Yeah. No defender is not going to go for that ball. No, you can't afford no. on the international stage, on any stage, you can't afford to just be leaving through balls that you think are really tight offsides just in case he is off. Mm-hmm. Just, in case it, found. just in case it comes off your shoelace and finds its way through to them and then all of a sudden you've played him onside. Like, mm. If he's offside there and making that run and the defender plays at it, he's automatically he is interfering with play because you, you are to forced to make a decision and play the ball uh, based on where that player is. And if he's in an offside position, if he wasn't offside, maybe you wouldn't, I don't know. You know what I mean? Like you wouldn't, yeah, you wouldn't play the ball or the ball just trickles out. That one's probably not like like, that. That specific Mbappe one's probably not the best example for those. Um, I think like that point we were just making then is more about, there was one in like uh, Man City last year, I think where the player was clearly offside and the defender kind of, played at a ball and like kind of scuffed it and it went to the player who was just, he wasn't making a run. He was just kind of standing there. Mm. Um, yeah. And it's like, Oh, you shouldn't have played at it. Cause he's clearly offside. Like, Oh yeah. Let on, it run. We, but can't, then we can't tell people. Inviting... To not, we can't tell people to not play the ball. Exactly. Cause it, but then you're inviting the midfield runners from the opposition to come through. You know, it's always funny that that awkward period, a long ball comes over, the striker lets it go. Yeah. The defenders are kind of stopping. And then, zoom, someone comes running yeah. through the midfield. Like, they're funny instances, but this is not funny. The guy is clearly interfering with the play. So, yeah, this is just another applicable grey rule. Um, what wasn't a grey rule or a grey area was Benzema's finish. That was just amazing. Breathtaking goal. Benzema has reached another level. How? He's like, how has he done this? I don't know if he's Italian, maybe. <laughs> you know how they just seem to get better with age as they get older? But Benzema keeps getting older, but he keeps getting better. He's an absolute machine. Maybe he was born in Bordeaux. I hear that if you lay them down for 20 years, they get to their best. Nah. No, but on that, he has had, he's got nine goals so far this season. Uh, he leads the European Golden Shoe. He's also got the second most assists in Europe. He is on fire. Man is untouchable right now. 
I saw something about um, since since Ronaldo left Madrid, he's played like 168 games and got over 100 goals and a, like a stack of assists. Like it's he's, outrageous. He's been taking the piss. He is keeping Real Madrid alive at the moment as well. If you watch some of his highlights for Madrid, um, he's he's just great. Great. I'm enjoying watching the um off you know off topic. Enjoying watching the rebuilding of Real Madrid. They've got some good young players in there, and they've got some good players are identifying as well. Yeah, they're they're okay. They're in a better position than Barcelona, and um, Indeed. playing playing in La Liga <laughs> helps a bit, you know. Um, but yeah, the siesta farmers. Yeah. Anyway, <laughs> um, World Cup qualifiers. Won't spend too much time on this. Do you catch any World Cup qualifiers in Europe or South America? Just, or just one in Europe: Scotland, Israel. I did not think I did, and I, I didn't think it was going to be exciting. But holy dooly, there's apparently some weird rivalry going back between these sides because they play each other so often. It's something like seven times in the last ten years they've played each other, and it was a sold-out Hampden Park, fifty odd thousand people in there. It was raining proper scottish weather and it just looked insane the scenes were remarkable it probably goes back to what we we're talking about last week about the fans being in the stadium increasing the yep. enjoyment of the atmosphere definitely happened in this game yeah i'm also wondering if this rivalry has um anything to do with like there's a big um like celtic supporters in scotland are renowned for being very anti-Israel and like Mm pro-Palestine. And there's definitely, there's kind of a, there's a sympathetic Scottish view. I don't speak on behalf of all Scottish people, obviously, but there is a view amongst some, uh, like the anti-British kind of sentiment, which transfers over into being like anti-Israeli as well, just through uh, like, you know, we don't want to get too political, but just like through means of, um, taking land that's not yours, that kind of thing. So that's where that might come from, maybe. Mm-hmm. Or like you said, it could just be because they played each other a bunch of times. But I don't know. I don't look up how many times Scotland have played Israel. <laughs> it's not a little bit of like uh, research that you thought you'd have to do prior pod. <laughs> no, not at this time in the morning, no. Um, John McGinn's goal, fantastic. Quality uh, there was a really nice, yeah, dude, this brilliant uh, left foot curling finish in the top corner. Uh, Zahavi for Israel who scored a banger free kick I think it was he's got a ridiculous record for Israel now as well scored something like 25 goals since he turned 31 yep like it's just a talisman for that nation but the you know the roof if there is a roof at Hampton it was lifted when McTominay bundles in that effort in the 93rd minute to get them over the line Uh, Sir Alex Ferguson watching on in the stands just brought a tear to the eye no, are you going to be okay? Him. I think so. I think so. I might have to have a nap before work. It's a little bit much, isn't it? It's all a bit much, the World Cup qualifiers. Uh, Scotland seem to be doing all right. They're getting some results, they're playing on. some decent football. Um, mm-hmm. They're still, their squad just looks so average. But there is a worse team in that area of the world, and that would be the Republic of Ireland. Just, <laughs> just Ireland, as I'd call them. Um, but they, this team has been horrid for a long time now, like absolutely horrendous. Um, 
I caught, I got home from work very, very late Saturday night and I caught some of their game against Azerbaijan in Baku. And it brought back some PTSD of that Europa League final where Chelsea mm-hmm. spanked Arsenal. Um, terrible. I think the Socceroos have had trouble in Baku as well. Terrible, terrible stadium for football. Like, woeful. Um, I'm trying to think when the Socceroos would have played in Baku now that you say that. I just, I've got a memory of Simon Hill's voice ringing out, uh, declaring Baku and a result being detrimental for the Ruse. I can't remember now. Might look that up for the next pod. <laughs> okay. Unusual because they play in Europe, but um, mm. yeah, they're, Ireland won this game 3 0. There's not really much else to talk about. I just, another, good, uh, another point for why there should be two stage qualifying because both of these two teams should not be trying to qualify with the likes of Germany, France, England, um, Italy, Spain, all those, like, ship off. Not even with, like, your Greece and stuff like that. Like, Ireland and Azerbaijan should be playing with the likes of Moldova and Andorra, things like that, yeah, I guess. and maybe, like, Oman and shit like that as well. Let's just condense all of these yeah. continents into <laughs> one. A World Cup qualifying which is the world no federations just world qualifying world qualifying i like that yeah we could be drawn all the way across in paraguay and then have to come back to antarctica a true nations league if you will yes there we go yeah we got there stop using names that don't like resemble the reality yeah isn't that right world series baseball yeah americans i don't know why they do that Oh, I know why they do that. You win the, well, I know why they do it, but you know, <laughs> and they know why they do it. Yeah. World champions. It's just, as long as we're all on the same page. I reckon Graham Arnold would be perfect for American sport, being the obnoxious oh, would. clown that he is. He should be in the MLS. What's yeah. he doing over here? Like, they are just so, they are just so ignorant of the rest of the world. Like a team wins their national competition and they're the world champions without playing anyone from another country. Sure, they would bat Makes their sense. best, their best baseball. They're all 30 of their baseball teams would probably batter a baseball team from any other country. But you don't know because you didn't do it. So you're not. <laughs> you're just the American champs. All right. Same as basketball, same as football, same as hockey. Don't even get me started on football, by the way. They don't even kick the like they kick the ball once, twice. Like have a special <laughs> punter. They- they trip out whenever an Aussie comes across and is able to kick the ball really far. <laughs> yeah. Because when we play football here or like Australian rules football, we do actually use our feet to kick the ball. Like it's not. It's remarkable. You know, we punt the egg. There's not like some, you don't just throw it to each other and catch it. It's like We're getting into sticky territory here. Like NRL people, people in, people in Sydney that call it footy. It's like egg NRL. Pump. We should rugby. call them all egg punt. Rugby is not footy. Like you throw the ball no. most of the time. You catch it. You rarely use your feet. Like fuck off. Fuck off, Sydney. <laughs> That's where we've fuck landed. You this and week. your freedom day. <laughs> That's where we've landed this week. Fuck American sports and their world champions. Fuck Arnie and fuck Sydney and New South Wales. That's you a great way else? to end it. I think. No, yeah, let's wrap it up there. We we'll wrap it there. Love that. All right. Catch ya. Thanks for tuning in.